Hello, welcome to the New Stack Context, a podcast where we review the week's hottest news in cloud native technologies and look ahead to topics we expect will gain more attention in coming weeks. Solo.io released a proposal for a new WebAssembly Open Container Initiative image specification, which the company says will define how to bundle WASM modules as OCI images to make it easy to build, pull, publish, and execute. Although WebAssembly was originally envisioned as a tool for bringing programming to the browser, Solo.io's founder and CEO, Edith Levine, has been a vocal proponent of how WebAssembly can be used to easily extend service meshes. Adit is here with us on the show today. Welcome to Context, Adit. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Also joining us today are Joe Jackson, Managing Editor, and Richard McManus, Senior Editor. And I'm Libby Clark, Editorial and Marketing Director. Hey, Joe. Hey, Richard. So last year, Solo launched WebAssembly Hub, a place where developers can share and reuse WebAssembly modules to extend the Envoy proxy. And so this week, we're going to take a step back and ask Edith about the excitement around WebAssembly, how it's used in Envoy, and the proposed OCI specification. So Edith, maybe you could start with some of the advantages of extending service meshes with additional functionality. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, when we talk about service machine generally or any any control plane that uh, configure Envoy, in the nutshells, um, you know, and, and we, we have specifically an API gateway called Glue that is a control plane to Envoy. And what we see having a lot of customer running it in production is that people never just taking Envoy and some functionality, some control plan, basically running it. Each of them has a different infrastructure. They're interested in different features. They want to integrate with the different tools. And in the nutshell, it's forced them to have customization. Now, Envoy was great. And actually, Matt Klein designed for Envoy actually understood that that's where it will happen. And it created something very interesting, which is basically the ability to extend Envoy and it's calling this mechanism is an, a, basically a, a filter chain. So basically the idea is that the request is coming, is going to go to a, a, a chain of filters. And each of them can be, you know, you can basically create your own, right? Come with a custom one. This is something that we in Solo, for instance, leveraging a lot, right? And mainly because we have big, big customer running in big organization. But in order to do this, you know, the design is very right, but it's actually extremely complex. So what you need to actually do is to write a C++ async filter, and then you need to recompile Envoy, which is not fun. <laughs> it's pretty complex things to do by itself. So kind of like actually the community of Envoy in general, we try to figure out how we can make it better. And then actually Google was a big advocate of basically saying, what about WebAssembly? So, so that's kind of like bring us to WebAssembly. Uh, in the nutshells, the idea with WebAssembly Again, this is a technology that was invented for a browser. And as a browser, when you wanted to actually, they actually wanted to come with a way to write extension to browser that will be extremely more fast and not a Java, JavaScript based because it's just extremely slow. So the idea, that's why Mozilla basically announced the, the WebAssembly. And the idea is to create something that, first of all, run faster. And that's where the assembly part, right? It's not an assembly code, but it's an uh, instruction code. So it's way fast. That's number one. 
The second thing is very important that a, it will be, you know, we run everywhere because we're running browser on our phone, we're running browser in every system. So it's extremely important for us to be able to run it everywhere. It has to be safe because the last thing that you want is some someone will write an uh, you know extension to his uh, WhatsApp ex- extension to his website and then the browser will crash, right? You don't want to do that. And the last one, which is very important, is ideally you will want them to write it in any language that they want, right? And for that, they have this WebAssembly has this ability to have basically an, an, an intermediate representation, and that basically will translate to this, that will translate to any of the others uh, to the model itself. So that's what they count. That's basically what is WebAssembly. But when you're thinking about it, there is one more thing in WebAssembly that the community itself added, which is basically what's called WASI. And WASI is basically an interface that we allow to basically take this te- great technology like WebAssembly and make sure that it will be able to run somewhere else, not only in the browser. And that's what basically the Android community leveraged. We took this this interface and we basically implemented and make sure that we will be able to write a custom filter for Envoy that is basically will know how to interact with the WASM, WASM model. And that way you will be able to write a filter that first of all, it's in any language potentially. Right now it's uh, Rust and, and TinyGo and C++ and AssemblyScript. It will be secure. It's very important. We don't want to lower down. This is like the, basically the thing that on, on your network, you definitely don't want to lose it. It's, you know, you definitely want you want it to run in Android, right? So this is like where the everywhere kind of like it's there. And, and the last one that you want to make sure is that it will be uh, relatively fast because it's in the request part. You don't want it to slow the request. So that's basically why we brought Wasm specifically to Android. And, and basically that way you can extend the Android technology and on the request part, write your own models. And, and, and again, very, very powerful, hopefully that way. Hey, uh, we read a uh, a great tweet from Docker founder Solomon Hikes, who uh, who said uh, that if WebAssembly and, of course, the WebAssembly system interface both existed, he wouldn't have the, he wouldn't have needed to create Docker itself. Uh, that's kind of amazing, an amazing quote. What do you think he meant by that? I think that in the nutshell, uh, a lot of the the functionality that WebAssembly will allow you, you know, you can, there is a lot of similarity to what Docker container is trying to allow you, right? Theoretically to run it everywhere, any language and so on. So I think that, you know, what they tried to do when they built Docker container, they have a very specific use case, which was they wanted to run a, basically a pass, right? A platform. And they wanted to make sure that it would be extremely scalable and they needed to use to, to, to use this technology. But in the natural, if theoretically one can say that you can take, uh, you know, it, it, it can take container, you know, WASM instead and, and, and actually run it. I know this is a project specifically, for instance, that uh, the guys from Microsoft right now is doing. They basically have a project that trying to take their WASM, you know, WASMs and basically run them instead of uh, container and Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a project that is extremely popular. I will argue that, I don't see the huge need right now, though, after Docker is actually already there. Extremely, <laughs> you know, there is a lot of work that the community putting in making Docker extremely excited. Now, I'm not 1% sure that there is a huge benefit of right now kind of like do the same thing with Wasm. So, but I think that there is a specific use case. And, and you know, if you remember, we long time ago, we were talking about Unikernel. Right, and Unicorn has a very similar thing, right? We basically said it will be more efficient, it will be and yeah. it's catch up. And you ask yourself why, and the reason is because I think that the tra- the, the, the benefit or the differentiator that that Unicorn are bringing over Docker wasn't that meaningful 
for people to want to build all their ecosystem from the beginning with the tooling and everything. I do feel that for Wasm, the reason I'm extremely excited about Wasm is because I feel that it's bringing something very unique, specifically, for instance, for Envoy. So the use case is real. There is a really good use case why you will want to use Wasm for Envoy. So I believe, you know, we have a customer running a production. It just, I know that it will catch up because we have a real use case. It's not a technology looking for a problem. There is a problem. That's why we decided to choose this community, this uh, technology. So, 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 you know, that's why I'm way more optimistic about Wasm. But what I would argue that I don't see, for instance, a huge reason why should one wanted to run Wasm instead of Docker in his Kubernetes cluster. I, I just don't think that technology-wise, it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, still cool. Excellent. What is WebAssembly Hub that Solo.io has put up? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we you know, as a community, we all understood that Wasm could be potentially uh, very, very big. And to Google actually lead this initiative. So they put the people to basically bring Wasm to Envoy. When I look at it, I said to myself, this is actually extremely interesting, right? I mean, I'm really excited about that, but I don't understand the user experience because in the nutshells, if you think what the experience would mean is that somehow the user will need to build this Wasm, which is not any. They need specifically to have some piping there in terms of root ID. There is a lot of technology that needed to be piping that needed to be done. And then on top of it, then you need to bring it somehow to the Envoy memory and you need to configure STO and you need to configure. It's just way, way too much work. So how is that going to work? You want to make sure that, you know, you want to adopt the technology, you need to make it easy to adopt. And I think when I saw that, it's immediately kind of like give me the connotation of what's happened with Docker, actually, right? Because if you're looking at what Docker did for Linux container, it was exactly the same thing. And funny enough, the people who did Linux container or at least lead the initiative for Linux container was Google. So Google is really great in making infrastructure tooling, but I will argue that they are not the best of making the user experience, right? So that's why Docker make it everyone to use it. And when I saw what, what Google is leading in Envoy, I said, this is brilliant, but I don't know how people will use it. So let's make sure that we will bring them the Docker for, for best, basically Wasm Envoy. And that's what we did. Now, Wasm in generally, in my opinion, will be the way that everyone will extend. It's not only going to be an Envoy extension. That's where we're starting because it's a use case. But I can tell you that we're building right now something that I'm very excited about that we will release soon. And basically that will be also related to Wasm and extending technology that is not Envoy, by the way, right? It doesn't have to be only an Envoy one. So when I look, I said, I said to myself, okay, basically we need to start working on tooling and quick because we really need to make sure that this amazing technology is being adopted and we need to make sure that it's easy. So what, that's why in Solo, again, we have Glue is an API gateway based on, on, on the Envoy. Again, tons of customer. We knew that we needed to make something that they will be able to use to. So what we did, we first just announced, we announced WebAssembly Hub. And the idea with WebAssembly Hub is seriously the docker for that experience. What does it mean? You basically have a command line that we're calling it WASMI, and then you're doing WASMI in it. It will ask you which language you wanted to write the WASM, and it will ask you for which platform, right? So STO, Glue, or maybe just you wanted to, to, to try, you know, a, a, a local Envoy, that's fine too. And then it will basically download the container for you with everything that you need and create a library, a directory that you can CD to him. And basically it's giving you all the structure basically of the project. And it's all the piping is already done instead. So the only thing you really need is to go and basically uh, put the logic that you need in the function and the business logic. And then when it's done, it's as simple as doing WASMI build. It's building it for you. Then you can do WASMI 
pull or push, like Docker, right? You can pull and push. That way we can, as a community, share those, mo those models. And then eventually you can even do, and this is something that Docker is not doing, you can also even do WASMI deploy, and you can choose if you're deploying on Glue or on STL, and which model and what the configuration that you want to give. And we do all, all of the work for you. So after it's built and pushed, we have a service, we have basically a registry, OCI based. It will be, it will go, you know, be basically configure STO, bring the, you know, the, the actual model to, to envoys and so on. And basically giving you the ability just, just as simple as Docker, right? That's all the idea. Very simple and slick experience. Now, we did this and then basically Google reached out to us immediately and said, this is great. We are very, very liking it. And we actually want that to be the way due to own the user experience for SEO for Wasm. And then we announced together with them and IBM, basically that that will be the way that, official way that SEO will be extended with, with the WebAssembly Hub. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this is pretty exciting. And there's way more coming up. So excellent, excellent. Now, uh, why did you choose to uh, uh, package Wasm as a uh, OCI image file? How did that come about? So, I mean, when we look at this, we said, okay, obviously, what we want to do is create a community because we know that they're going. I know that for my com company, a customer, that there is a lot of people that are using the same type. So it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, we want as a community, we can innovate way faster. So the idea was that I want people to basically share that. And this is, again, it's very familiar to what Docker did, right? So you really want the, the community kind of like to help here. Um, so we, we said, this is very familiar to what Docker did. And basically OCI, you know, registry already exists. So instead of reinvent Veil, what if we will take this thing and we will basically create an artifact, make it a little bit more specific for Wasm, because in Wasm there is, diff, you know, OCI spec is relatively very broad. And you want more of the details for it, right? We wanted to make sure that each layer has, you know, basically defined as what we need. So we basically decided to use this one. And, you know, we learned, so we, we basically build, an, you know, an OCI registry just because specifically it didn't work, for instance, for a, for a Docker. Docker is only store OCI image that is Docker. And if it's awesome, it's not going to work. So we basically built one. And again, mainly wanted to give it to the community. That was the purpose. That was the agreement with Google and so on. The idea is to give it away. We, we wanted all of our, all, everyone to use it. And we're just waiting until the foundation is going to emerge. Um, and, and, and basically then when we, we learned so much from it, right, that we said that maybe, you know, maybe we will basically share what we learn from actually building these tools. And what I mean is, you know, we, as I said, we, we built this thing and we needed to define the layers of the artifact of the OCI image. And basically what we wanted to be sure is that, first of all, we are right. So let's put it in the community to make a decision. Second of all, we wanted to, you know, because we are leading it, it was important to get feedback and very early. And second, and the third one, I really, really wanted to prevent the misalignment and distributed mess that exists in ecosystem like service mesh, for instance, right now. When there's no agreement, no one agree on anything, right? Same thing it was with the, <laughs> with the container orchestration world before that, right? So what I wanted to make sure is that Watson is so important to, the, in my opinion, at least, in general, it's just so important to the cloud native ecosystem. I want to make sure that we are not fighting, that we are green and the innovation is going very fast. Exactly like what OCI did for Docker, right? You know, to all those container images. 
So, so that was the reason. Excellent. Well, I'll circle back around to, to what you just said in a little bit. But before that, could you tell me what does each module consist of and how do developers plug it into Envoy? Yeah. So in the nutshells, uh, you know, one of the ways that Wasm is very secure is by basically using a VM. So it's basically a sandbox, right? That way it's protected that you cannot take anything uh, down. So I mean, specifically in the still in the Envoy community, we decided to use VH, which is a type of VM for that. Uh, so that's one thing that we need to do in in the in the in the WASM model. The second thing that we need to do, if you're looking specifically then on the interface, because you need to create what's called an ABI. ABI is the contract between Envoy, right, to basically this uh, this uh, WASM image, and it's like an API but with B, right, binary. So it's ABI, right. And the idea is that you need to, to, to know this one. And that's basically the contract between how Envoy know how to talk to Wasm and how Wasm know how to talk to Envoy. So what was very important is to know it, but, but this ABI is extremely low level. So it's more like a C++ kind of like a or C kind of like syntax. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it will be hard for the user again, right? So what usually you're doing, you're creating a SDK for the user. In different language, you will get a different SDK. So right now, what Google did, they did the C++. We did the assembly script one. There is Rust one that the community did and Tiny Go that the community did. And that's basically the one that's supporting right now. And the idea that in this model of Watson, basically what we will have is the V8 or other virtual machine. You will have the SDK of the relevant language that you wanted to write. And then the code, right? The code itself. And that's basically all of this is kind of like packaged or binary and, and being distributed. It makes sense. Terrific, terrific. One other uh, technical question. Uh, you had recently presented this uh, uh, You presented this work uh, to the OCI Technical Oversight Board. We'll include a link to the YouTube for that. But uh, one of the members had raised the concern that technically what this is isn't an OCI image. Now, this sounds like a bit of taxonomy or a semantic question, but what, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, uh, you know, to be honest, we are pretty picky on, like, I, I have a few people in my company that are extremely picky to make sure that we are not making any mess when we're putting something out there. We didn't, we didn't think that that's an issue, I have to say, and usually my people is extremely picky. In the natural, it's very simple. What, what basically we did, and I think that they calling it artifact, but what we basically did is uh, we took the, the, what is OCI image, a spec, which is basically defining layers, right? And it's defining what all those layers should be. Oh, it's actually not defining too much. And we basically was more specific about what those layers should be for a WASM image, right? It makes a lot of sense for us because of it to call it OCI image spec. I think that you, again, and this is very, spec is always right, it's very thick. So I think that what the commu the, the OCI community uh, was uh, saying that eventually it's, it, you know, the, it's an artifact because it's a basically based on, but it's really technical. So we try to change it to artifact. It's really, really very uh, technical, you know, very technical, you know, it's not, a, it's more like lawyers and stuff. It's not, there's no technology-wise. The idea was to describe how we do it. And, you know, I guess there's a better term for it. <laughs> the OCI is part of the CNCF um, yeah. project. 
Um, have you thought about hand, uh, kind of handing your community development work over to a foundation? So actually, when we did WebAssembly Up, we got, you know, we got a few people reaching out to us uh, and asking to basically contributing this. And that was the plan from the beginning, right? The idea, this is, this is too big for solid long. We feel that this should be a community play, and we totally understand that. The only thing is that right now there is a little bit mess about everything that happened in the foundation, mainly because there is the Bicot Alliance, uh, who is owning by, it's like four company, I think it's Reddit, Mozilla, and two more that I don't remember. But basically, they right now owning it, and there was a lot of layoff for Mozilla, so a lot of those people was laid off. So there was a lot of uh, kind of like, where is these things to stand? And when we came in the beginning with Google and said to Mozilla, here you go, we have stuff to give you, uh, you know, to the Bicot Alliance. Uh, they basically didn't have the ability to get anything yet. Well, yeah. Because like, huh. it's not a real phone. It wasn't, you mm. know, technically it wasn't an ability to give it them. And there was other stuff that happening behind the scene and we just basically waiting patiently to wait until they will figure out the stuff from, you know, Linux Foundation and stuff that, again, we are not involved in and basically see how there is a, a, a foundation that we will be able to basically contribute to. But we are, you know, our purpose is to give it to the foundation, the, uh, the spec itself, as well as, you know, WebAssembly app again. The idea of doing that was specifically, instead of us doing it for only our customer, we felt that the community can, can basically um, take advantage of it. So we wanted to make sure that we are sharing it. If you see the, the need for consensus around this, then... It speaks to me, or at least I, I see it as a sort of a recognition that there's a broader ecosystem use for this. How do you see it expanding into the other service meshes? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that we did, it, we did it solo. We have Glue, so we immediately integrated with Glue. And the other thing that we did is with Estio and mainly because we have a lot of customers using Glue and Estio together. We are giving Estio support. We have... We have STO by ourselves, you know, so we basically make a lot of sense. The beautiful of it is that Google is part of their uh, their work. They basically bring it to Envoy itself, which means that every Envoy uh, service must potentially can leverage that. And everyone will, because it just makes sense. So right now, basically, you know, we didn't do ourselves the work, but we would love, love a pull request for someone else if they are interested in this. Because the thing is that it's not enough also to ask them, you know, you need somehow, like, we, you know, you need somehow to do something to bring it to the to the, the platform itself. And this platform, you know, we don't have, we are not owning Console Connect or we are not owning anything. So it would be a little bit hard for us to, to actually do this. But, you know, Console Connect is definitely like the Ashi guys are definitely is working with us, and uh, and IBM is working with us, and uh, and uh, you know I'm sure that every Envoy based company will leverage that, and yeah, and 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 so I think that it's totally going to. But I think there is agreement, like there is a huge agreement, and I think like the feedback that we got from Microsoft and from Google, they all really, really like this back and. Was extremely excited about the fact that we are leading it. So, and do you think this uh, this model of using Wasm for Envoy can potentially be used elsewhere in cloud computing? Yeah, for sure. So we already see that happening. So first of all, they, there is a project in CNCF called OPA, Open Policy Agent, and they already talked about how they're going to bring Wasm to there. I think they even have some some prototype or so on. I know that Nats in the last CNCF conference, they basically also mentioned that they're going to use uh, WebAssembly in order to, you know, in order to extend Nats. 
And I can tell you that we're doing other stuff that related to this, which is really exciting. And it's not an Envoy base. And I think that WASA will be just perfect fit for that. So I definitely, and when we build WebAssembly, uh, specifically, we didn't call it Envoy WebAssembly, right? And the main reason was because I felt it's way bigger play. I think that that will be the future of cloud computing. And I feel that that will be the way to extend everything, basically, in the future. You know, there's so much benefit. And I think that there's so much excitement. So a lot of people start to, you know, to contribute. I believe that that will be big, not only in Envoy. That will be kind of like where it will start. But I feel it will be a way bigger play. And again, we we already up to it, right? I mean, as I said, WebAssembly Hub, no, it, it was in purpose to actually know that, you know, it was purpose to actually support other way, other tools. Excellent. So you've mentioned before in some of your talks about the dangers of what you call misalignment, and you talk about service mesh uh, as being evidence of that. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by misalignment? Yeah, so I mean, I can share you what my experience in, in, in service mesh. So first of all, when we started looking at service mesh, that was before, like just I, I founded Solar, so it was three years ago, right? And back then there was two service meshes. There were um, STO and there were Linkerd. And since then, if you're looking kind of like fast forward for today, and this is something that we predicted, this is why we did our project service mesh up because we knew that they're going to be more. Right now, each cloud has different service mesh, right? So like Microsoft announced the um, the service, me- the open service mesh, and and up and you know and AWS app mesh. And besides that, there is. Console Connect, which we helped build the first version, and there is, uh, you know, Kuma and a lot, a lot of more stuff, more more service meshes. To me, you know, it's taking a lot of resources that basically all trying to solve the same problem. Service mesh is a problem; it's a use case, right? Eventually, you're giving something to the customer that's solving a real pain. All of them is working, and they're basically just competing in a way, right? Like putting a lot of resources to work on something when Google already put a lot of resources here and Kuma put, and Kong put here and doesn't make any sense to me that nothing efficient. And when we look at it, we could actually easily take glue and make it a service mesh because we were ahead of the market so much, but it didn't feel right to me to take my resources to compete with Google or to compete with LinkedIn because they're already on it. They will fix it. They will solve it. Let me help them make it better instead of trying to compete. And I feel that what's happening right now, and again, me, we have so many customers right now that, you know, and so many leads that we constantly basically see so much in the ecosystem, right? Or in the, in actually enterprise and customers are very confused. They really do not know what to choose. They're very confused. And, you know, they're actually so scared to adopt that because of it. So they're actually buying glue because they say, we don't know. know, We really don't know when we do need this technology to solve at least some of those problems. And I feel that this is, this is a real problem and seriously unnecessary one, like really generally unnecessary one. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, because it's just really not efficient. A lot of resources working on the same thing and competing instead of all of us to unite it and go and fix the things that customer actually can benefit from it. So, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff because I predicted it, like service mesh up and the SMI that we announced together with Microsoft. This is always something that I, I basically pre- predict two years ago. This is what we're building. But unfortunately, this is instead of kind of like collapse to one, it's actually getting more distributed. So it's a shame, in my opinion. It's really hurting the technology. I really do not want Watson to be one of those things. And I do know that usually it's happening when a lot of providers are very interested and have a skin. You know, you feel something will be big and they want to have a skin in the game. And Watson will be big. So it's really important to prevent it exactly like the, the OCI initiative was preventing all this container war before, right? With CoreOS and, uh, Google and Docker and so on. 
And I think that that would be the right way to do this. I really, really hope that we'll, you know, that our initiative will pay for all the community sake, by the way, not for us, right? Yeah. Well, Edith, it's been really a pleasure to have you on the show today and uh, to see you putting your considerable talents to solving the technical problems around this kind of market confusion. So really appreciate having you here and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. So Alex, what podcast do you have for us this week to highlight? A recording from DevOps World is our show of the week. Copy Sean, Ahmed, and Dan Ritchie joined us to provide some perspective about the conference. And Ahmed talked specifically about the definition of software delivery automation and software delivery management. Let's take a listen. On a more micro level, Sean, is there or what platform or platforms should we take into account when we're really trying to get past these hurdles of so-called single point of failures? What, what platforms are we talking about? I think there's two kind of platforms you definitely want to look into. One is is a software delivery automation platform. I think that builds sort of the ground level basis for the backbone in the business, right? Um, this is where you automate. This is where you connect. This is where you orchestrate um, all of your software uh, in the software delivery uh, lifecycle. This is about everything that happens from an idea all the way to successfully releasing it on a Friday and knowing you don't have to roll back over the weekend and sort of having the approvals and having a fully audit-ready pipeline and understanding that these have to be connected. You know, companies will have multitude of, of pipelines. So being able to automate and connect it, that's, that's one layer. And we, we kind of think of that as a software delivery automation. But yep. then there's the other platform, and that's the platform from for continuously monitoring it, you know, looking at the efficiency, looking at the optimized, kind of like there's there's folks that build things, and then there's folks within the organization that likely are part of manage the building of the thing. DevOps are blurring, and the lines have really created a new reality that is now encompassing more of the organization. We're now seeing the rest of the business having a seat at the table as software delivery management becomes more ingrained in the way businesses operate. That's our show of the week. Thanks for joining. Great. Thanks. Richard, do you have a post that you'd like to highlight for us? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the serverless uh, series that I've just uh, completed. I did uh, five posts on this topic. Well, yeah, going into it, we I think we're all a little skeptical of serverless, but actually uh, what I found was that there's a thriving ecosystem here and there's a lot of innovation happening. It all starts, of course, with uh, AWS Lambda, which was uh, kind of the first serverless platform and still to this day is the, the leading platform. It's it's really a functions as a service platform. I spoke to AWS's Nader David, and he he thinks of serverless more as a philosophy, a, a development philosophy, and it gives developers the tools, libraries, and APIs they need to build cloud apps. So it takes the, the back-end burden entirely off them. But what's really interesting about serverless is the ecosystem of companies that is popping up around it. For example, Fauna is a new company that's providing a data API that basically means that developers don't need to touch a database system. So that's quite an interesting development. And then there are companies like TriggerMesh, which is trying to connect together services across multi-cloud. And the reason they exist is because serverless is an event-driven architecture. So it's 
Yeah, it's uh, something slightly different from how cloud native began as you know as a microservices uh, architecture. But having said that, there are limitations to the current serverless paradigm, and uh, we're seeing companies and projects pop up to to try and address those. Tundra is an interesting company. Uh, it's providing observability and security for serverless applications built on Lambda. And when I spoke to Tundra's Emra, he explained to me that uh, Lambda's features for observability and security are lacking. And so that's gave an opportunity for his company. And, you know, uh, there are other sort of opportunities on the Lambda platform because AWS itself is not providing sufficient solutions. Um, another interesting project is an open source one called CloudState, which is trying to add stateful service functions to serverless because uh, serverless at the moment is stateless. Now, there are some people who who think that stateful functions don't really belong in this paradigm. Uh, Trigamesh's um, uh, Sebastian uh, Gojan was, is one of those. So uh, we'll, we'll see whether cloud state gets any uh, take up or not. But um, again, it's just a, an interesting uh, example of how serverless is expanding uh, and continuing to grow. Great, thanks. So an interesting series. I actually really enjoy being proven wrong. <laughs> there is quite a bit of uh, still to be pay attention to in serverless. Yeah, it's amazing what you find when you start poking around. <laughs> One of the uh, from um, Lightbend, Jonas Bonier had said that uh, the actual the workloads have changed over the past decade. It's a lot more data intensive than uh, it was generally speaking back when uh, uh, serverless first came around as a concept. So it'll be interesting to see how serverless changes over uh, uh, in response to these kind of new workloads that are happening out there. Yeah, and also particularly as everything just seems to getting be getting more and more abstracted as we go along. We're, you know, we've got things like infrastructure as code now c- coming up as a big trend. So, and, you know, that's what serverless is for, really, to, to abstract all that back-end stuff away. So, yes, it'll be interesting to continue to track this uh, this topic. Great. Thanks, Richard. Joe, you have a couple of stories for us to highlight. Oh, yeah. A lot of interesting stuff coming out this week on the newstack.io. First of all, we're going to return to the uh, question over operators, Kubernetes operators. And uh, we discussed this on the podcast in the past. And we asked our London correspondent, Mary Branscombe, to talk about when to use and when to avoid the operator pattern. Operators have quickly become a popular pattern far beyond their initial use case for encoding deep operational knowledge on running stateful applications and services like Prometheus or databases through Kubernetes. But with them, they come. it comes with a lot of complexities. They're built on the uh, CRD uh, custom resource definition, lifecycle management, and that means that writing an operator is not always the best solution for instructing Kubernetes how to stage your own applications. And it also creates a lot more code that you'll need to maintain. So uh, Mary uh, looked at the alternatives, uh, including Helm, the whole GitOps process, and Kudo, a, a declarative alternative for automating deployment. So a lot of good ideas, a lot of good uh, viewpoints in this uh, post. So check it out. Great, thanks. And also this week, we have uh, CloudBees as as having their yearly uh, now virtual conference, DevOps Days. And there's a lot of good stuff coming out of that particular conference. One of the initial stories that we ran is CloudBees has a new, I guess you would call it a platform. They call it software delivery management. And it builds off their popular Jenkins, continuous integration, continuous deployment, open source software bundle. And the idea is... um, better support DevOps efficiency 
by offering more visibility about status and the details of the production pipelines that you're running. And they're doing this through a set of modules that they'll be releasing. They released a few this week for the conference, and they'll be releasing uh, more in the future. Uh, the initial ones uh, include uh, capabilities for uh, engineer managers to uh, – gain a holistic view of production pipelines instead of you know manually parsing through the information gleaned from a whole bunch of different monitoring tools and uh, alerts and whatnot you have this one one spot where you can go and get a uh, quick view also uh, another module is aimed for the business leader who want might require more transparency into the status of different projects. Always an ongoing uh, challenge uh, to understand uh, where your many projects are in terms of completion. So a lot of interesting stuff uh, coming from CloudBees this week. Uh, and we'll have uh, uh, this particular story that is up now. And then we'll have additional stories both this week and in the weeks to come. Yeah. Stay tuned for more coverage from DevOps World. Thanks, Joe. And thank you, Richard, again, for joining us today. Good to have you both on the show. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. This is the the last month of the New Stack Context podcast. Starting October 12th, we're launching a new podcast series called Scaling New Heights on the New Stack Makers. Our guest host, Christine Heckert, CEO of Scaler talks with engineering managers at the rapid growth companies that make modern life possible. You'll hear from engineering leadership at companies like Robinhood, Airbnb, and Nextdoor about the technical and human challenges their teams face at scale and how they survived the valley of despair. You can find our new series at thenewstack.io makers and subscribe to the new stack makers on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts from the New Stack. Listen to more episodes of the New Stack Context at thenewstack.io slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and see you next time.